Hello, and welcome to the John 315 Podcast, the show where we break open the mysteries of the most popular and misunderstood Bible verses and put them back into context. I am your host. They call me Jonathan, the coffee guzzler Van Shank. And here is my co-host. They call him Jeremy, the energy drink guzzler Swingle. Now, Jeremy, why do they call you the energy drink guzzling Swingle? Because I'm working two jobs right now, and uh, I need to stay awake somehow. (laughs) How many hours are you working this week, Jeremy? Oh, man. Somehow I'm sandwiching this podcast into like a 77-hour work week. Oh, gosh. That is is crazy. I... I I'm also working two jobs, but they're two part-time jobs rather than two full-time jobs. So I kind of feel your pain and splitting your attention. But, oh, man, you are you were doing the hard work these days, man. Yeah, I know. There's definitely uh, definitely a lot going on. Now, this is kind of an exceptional week. Um, Not all my weeks are like this, but uh, definitely making it through with my good old pal, the, the rain energy drink. That's R E I G N. Not sponsored. No, no, we're not sponsored, but uh, but maybe we should be. Yeah, maybe we should be. We should also be sponsored by coffee, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I drink an obscene amount of coffee, and it's well. And what's funny about for me is, you know, unlike for you, where I mean, working as many hours as you do, you really do kind of need something like that. But for me, it's like you know, my baby is getting to the point where he sleeps through the night, and so. Strictly speaking, I don't really need the coffee to stay awake. I just love it so much. Uh, <laughs> my uh, uh, my undergraduate math uh, professor used to say that like uh, mathematicians are machines that convert coffee into proofs, and <laughs> <laughs> and I'm beginning to feel like computer programmers, which is what my job is, are machines that t- convert coffee into code. I had a professor who used to say that uh, that the spirit empowers, but caffeine enables. <laughs> and I don't, I don't exactly know how to parse out what that meant, but uh, I did think it was kind of witty. Well, hey, hopped up on caffeine as we are. Should we jump into today's into today's episode? There's no time like the present. Cut the chit chat. Let's crack open the word. All right, so we are in the middle of a series on the Romans Road. This is our second podcast. Uh, go ahead and listen to our first. It was just released two weeks ago, if you haven't already. Now, the Romans Road is an evangelistic tool to help you remember, ostensibly, all of the like main points of the gospel when you're you know, trying to share the gospel with somebody. And it presents to you um, its five Bible verses— uh, that you can kind of like walk through and they're sort of, you know, almost a, like a mnemonic tool to help you kind of remember all the high points to hit. Now, you know, to reiterate, I, I think it's important to take a sec here and say, you know, we don't really have like a beef with the Romans road. I mean, like memorizing scripture is awesome and you should all like totally be doing it because it's great, you know, and the Romans road is also really awesome because it does hit a lot of the really important points of the gospel. And it, it does so in a really clean narrative that uh, uh, kind of really helps you kind of like walk people through a lot of the, the the big points of the gospel. So from that standpoint, like we are a fan of people sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and using verses in Romans to do it. Like we are we are big fans of that. We're big fans of it, but um, you should definitely memorize the whole book of Romans if you're going to do that <laughs> and you know, go big or go home. Right. Yeah, a little bit of a bid to our Bible quizzing uh, listeners there. 
Now, even though the Romans Road is great and we are like, you know, a big fan of memorizing scripture and evangelism, I think it's also important to remember, though, that what the Romans Road is doing is it's presenting a series of Bible verses and it's arguing for a particular interpretation of what those Bible verses mean. And kind of what we're doing in this series of podcasts is saying that, like, well, you know, the things that the Romans Road is arguing are true. But the way that it's interpreting these Bible verses isn't always necessarily totally justified by the text that's being used. So we're not trying to, like, hate on the Romans Road or hate on evangelism, but we're just arguing we should love the Lord with all of our mind. And let's dig into these verses and see, like, what is it that each of these verses is really saying in its full context? Yeah, so last time we took a look at this uh, first stop on the road, this uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in uh, Romans 3.23, and we concluded that uh, that the interpretation of this verse that treats it kind of like as an individual thing, that every single human being has sinned, is true from the context, but Paul is also making a point more specifically about both the Jews and the Gentiles as categories being, you know, these two groups of people that have sinned so that neither gets to boast over the other. So um, last week we sort of discovered that there was a little more going on to the meaning of the verse, even though the Romans road was on the right track with theology. You know, we, we want to go back to the original context and really see what Paul was talking about. Well, with that, let's get into uh, talking about what our verse is for today. So the second stop on the Romans road here is Romans 6.23, and it reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, at this point in the Romans road, typically, you know, someone has just presented 3.23 and, you know, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And now they present this verse and they argue that, you know, hey, the wages of sin is death. The just punishment of the sins that you have committed, because, you know, all of sin, so that includes you, friend. Uh, so the just punishment of that is death. This is the bad news. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times it's presented in context of like the, you know, the punishment of your sins is going to be like, you, you know, that you'll end up in hell. Or, you know, perhaps they might kind of take some approach of like saying, oh, like, you know, Genesis 3, that, you know, before there was sin, there was no death. But now that there is sin, there is this like physical death that you experience. And so, you know, the 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 wages of or like the result of your sin is that you experience this physical death. But one of the important features is that the Romans Road, you know, in this utilization, it's really about a future reality. It's like eventually you are going to be judged for your sins or eventually you are going to die. And, you know, the focus isn't really on any kind of like pre present lived reality at all. And one of the other things about the Romans Road, uh, and this should be a little bit of a clue to us that perhaps there's more going on than, you know, this utilization is, is that the Romans Road really kind of skips the second half of the verse. You know, it's like the wages of sin is death. And then it kind of treats it like there's a period there and it sort of ignores the, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, you know, the reason why is because if you say that part, it kind of ruins the punchline of the fourth stop on the Romans road. It's like, you know, it, it's kind of like, whoa, whoa, Paul, slow down. We can't get to the good news yet. We we have to like, you know, stay in the bad news for a little while. Uh, <laughs> and so that kind of, you know, utilization of sort of not really emphasizing the second half of the verse maybe suggests that perhaps there's more going on here. <laughs> Very true. There's always more 
Well, if you just look at the second part of the verse. It's time for the meat. Well, one thing I think we should do this week that we made sure to do last time is to kind of trace the argument that Paul's been making in the book of Romans so far. And, you know, sort of hopefully over the course of all the episodes on the Romans road, we actually get a, an idea of, you know, what's going on throughout the whole book. And so, like, let's recall from last week, Paul has argued in the first few chapters of this book that all have sinned, Jew and Gentile. And so we don't have the required righteousness to be at peace with God. But then God has provided faith in Jesus as this alternative way of having righteousness. Um, and so that that's where that Romans 3, 21 through 26 passage came into play. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then, of course, later down in the passage, after our magic verse from last time, Romans 3.23, um, you know, Jesus was put forward by God as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So over the next few chapters after that passage, Paul gets into the weeds a bit <laughs> about how all, all this works. Uh, and there's this interesting recurring literary pattern that he adopts. Uh, he'll state an objection to what he's been saying, so like a possible objection, and then he'll address that objection or that question. So uh, my assumption is that Paul by this point has already been preaching the gospel quite a bit. <laughs> and he's already heard all sorts of objections. So he knows at what point in his argument, someone's going to be like, well, hold on, hold on there, Paul. <laughs> hold the phone, right? And so then he has this little statement, what then shall we say, uh, is how it's translated in the ESV. Sometimes it's like, what then? So it's like a shorter version of it. But uh, the further, the full version would be, what then shall we say? Um, so starting in chapter four, verse one, we have Paul saying, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? Later on in chapter 9, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? So you, you have this, Paul will, will actually vocalize what he thinks the best objection to his argument might be. So then he can kind of address it as he goes. All right, so now we're in chapter 6. And, you know, chapter five, we, we have skipped over for now, which has to do with original sin and being in Adam versus being in Christ. And now we find ourselves here in this section today. Paul is going to be answering one of these rhetorical questions. Um, that's a good thing to be aware of throughout the whole time we're spending here. What is that rhetorical question? Well, it's what should we do about sin now that we have faith in Jesus? Since Jesus credits his righteousness to us, does that give us license to sin somehow? This was evidently a huge objection to Paul's teaching that uh, he needs to, you know, correct. He needs to set the record straight. In fact, it's such a big deal that uh, in some of Paul's other letters, he references the same objections. You, you, you get the sense that there's like multiple people in various places who are all critiquing Paul and, you know, this, this you know, gospel message that Paul is preaching of saying like, oh, you're just... If, if it's all righteousness in Christ, then we're free to sin. And um, yeah, Jeremy, do you remember where, where are the other places where, uh, like, Paul talks about, uh, uh, you, know, you know, people slandering him for saying that he's, like, giving people license to sin? 
Yeah, well, we actually passed it. Um, it's in Romans 3. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's just kind of this short comment in the middle of his argument about everybody being sinful, Jew and Gentile. Um, he says, Why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying. That's his comment. And then he says, just their condemnation is just. <laughs> it's actually a pretty great verse. It, Paul's basically like, there's some people who are trying to play fast and loose with our words. And I'm not even, you know, going to talk about them right now. All I can say is, you know, they, they deserve condemnation. But the argument there is a little bit different. Um, here it's saying, like, why not do evil is, you know, if we're saved by grace anyways, then we can still be saved even if we do evil, right? Um, but in chapter 3, the nuance is a little more like, uh, if we do more evil, then God will have more evil to save, which would glorify him more. Oh, that's so twisted. Uh, honestly, it, yeah, in my opinion, the Romans 3 argument is pretty terrible, so Paul doesn't spend a whole <laughs> it, lot of time on it. He spends a little more time on it in Romans 6 because it's, I think, a better objection. <laughs> it's, you know, he's spending more time on the more difficult. Yeah, it's almost like he's saying, okay, some people will say this, but I think we can all agree that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, that's, I think that's the, <laughs> the strategy here. So with that, Paul is, like we said, he's going to present this rhetorical question in Romans 6 and then go through answering it. So let's let's hear a little bit of what Paul has to say in Romans 6. Um, I'll be starting here in verse 15. So in verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? So there's that rhetorical question, you know, can we just sin, you know, because we're not under the law? And he answers it, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness... So now present your, your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, right off the bat, John, I think this, uh, this slavery metaphor is a bit shocking to our modern ears. Um, and if not shocking, then perhaps just straight up confusing. <laughs> so maybe we could talk about that first. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, um, I, I think it's important to remember that Paul is writing in a very different time than we live in the present day. Uh, you know, in the, the ancient Roman world, slavery was something that was like endemic. It was all over the place. And I mean, definitely it was something that was very common in the city of Rome itself. So, you know, this is in stark contrast to us in the United States where, you know, our society has pretty roundly denounced all forms of, you know, owning other human beings. And so it's not like this is something that just is existing in our society. So, you know, while we hear Paul talking about slavery and we're like, Ack, Paul, what are you doing talking about this despicable, wicked institution of slavery? You know, like that, that's our reaction to it. But we need to remember that that's like probably not the way that his audience would have heard what he was saying. 
to them, you know, slavery, like this is just a, a thing that happens in the city. And so it would be uh, like a far more accessible analogy. Like they would have a context for understanding what Paul is saying here. And they would be like, okay, yeah, I know what slaves are. I know how slaves work and what they do and what they can and can't do in society. And so the comparison that Paul is making here is actually like super relevant to their daily lives, even setting aside the question of whether or not the institution is moral or immoral. Well, and it seems here that the, this metaphor is being used to say that like everybody is a slave to something, right? And, and so slavery in this context could mean something along the lines of like committed to something or, you know, uh, beholden by something. Um, so like if you're a slave of, of sin, uh, <laughs> you're, I mean, it says if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin or of obedience. So if you're a slave of sin, then that means you're a person who can't help but sin. That seems to be Paul's idea. You're obedient to your sin. But you can also be a slave of righteousness, <laughs> which sounds like, oh, righteousness, that's cool. But uh, slave, I don't know. I don't know about that part of it. Maybe I just want to be righteous. Ooh, slaves of righteousness? Yeah, yeah. And even that's kind of weird. Like, you know, isn't it unrighteous to, you know, hold someone in slavery? How can you be a slave of righteousness? That, like, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, well, I, I think that's why, you know, obviously it's metaphorical because sin and righteousness are not literal, you know, people who can be slave masters. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I don't know. It's a very stark portrait of just what sin can do, how, how it can have a grasp on us. If we're in chains and we cannot do anything but agree and obey this this thing called sin or this thing called righteousness, Paul's you know presenting that those, these two options here, and he's saying that we were once slaves of sin, but we've become obedient from the heart to this new teaching, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So part of this metaphor is that we were you know we were purchased by a new slave master. Yeah, and now, and and kind of, this is the way that Paul is answering the objection of like, you know, why don't we keep sinning? And part of his answer is like, I mean, you, you, you're not, you're not sin's slave anymore, so why are you serving them? It's like you have a different master now. You are obligated to do the service of someone else. This, you know, person of righteousness is kind of, you know, the way that, that it's being anthropomorphized in the verse right here, that... You know, like it, we, we now, it, we, we have just as few options now as slaves of righteousness as we did as slaves of sin. It's just that it's the different work that we're doing now, the work of righteousness rather than the work of lawlessness. Right. Well, and yeah, I think it's, uh, it's interesting because this reminds me of John 8 when I forget who, some adversaries of Jesus, I don't know if it was the Pharisees or, or who, but um, Jesus says, if you follow me, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And they're like, hold on, we're, we've never been slaves. How can you say we shall be set free? And then Jesus turns right around. He's like, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And, um, and, and this, this is a stumbling block in John 8 to, to these, uh, these people because they, they don't want to believe that they were enslaved to sin. And they don't, necessarily want to think in terms of becoming slaves to Jesus as well. 
So they want to be free. Yes, yeah, they they want to be, they don't want to be slaves of anyone. But, you know, Paul here is presenting this idea of like, well, that's not really an option. Like, you're going to be serving someone. It's either going to be sin or righteousness. Yeah, no one gets an option. <laughs> we got to be a slave of something, which is just another way, I think, of saying that, you know, our lives are are marked by one thing or another. They're dominated by one one master, you know, or or another. Are we going to, you know, be in the path of sin or the path of righteousness? That's the stark contrast the Bible presents before us. Totally. And, you know, that actually sounds, Jeremy, a lot like a, a literary device that we've talked about on this podcast before. Our old friend, Parallelism. Oh, <laughs> Parallelism. He's back. <laughs> Yes. So in, in this one, uh, uh, if, uh, you know, Paul is like presenting these two ideas and he's putting these two ideas in direct parallel with one another, like everything about his language of even, you know, saying slaves of sin and slaves of righteousness, that he's presenting sin and righteousness, but kind of putting them on similar terms with each other to compare and contrast them. That's like kind of his whole point right here. Um, you know, we've been talking about this a little bit already, but, you know, particularly that last verse where, you know, we see that, uh, let me pull it up here. Um, you know, for, you know, just as you present your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So we see there, there's kind of this like direct parallel that's being set up just in the same verse here that, you know, present your members to slay er, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness or as slaves of righteousness leading to sanctification. Now, Sanctification, that's kind of like a big Christian-y term. Like, Jeremy, what what does sanctification mean? Yeah, well, that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> um, I would define it as, as growth in the Christian faith. So, sanctification, I mean, the technical definition would be like to, to become more holy, right? To sanctify um, is to make something set apart and to, to be more, you know, to be more holy, to be more unstained from the world. But I think if we're talking about it in, I don't know, I think in this context, especially, it's talking about like a gradual process by which we become more righteous, by which we become more like Christ. And that I'm saying in this context, especially because of the phrasing righteousness leading to sanctification, right? So, so this process of serving this master of righteousness is a gradual process of becoming more holy. Yeah, certainly. And especially because the righteousness leading to sanctification is contrasted with lawlessness leading to more lawlessness earlier in the verse. So it's like being the slave of sin is lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So it's this growth in this quality of being lawless. And so that then the, the contrast of that would be sanctification is growing in the quality of righteousness. Very true. And this is something that just as an aside is is super... <laughs> Well, uh, well known, I guess, in pop culture and uh, in just plays and movies and TV shows like throughout history, this idea of, you know, you, you start down the bad path and you never know where it's going to take you. And, I, it, you know, I think even like Darth Vader. Right. And but uh, obviously like TV shows like Breaking Bad literally is an entire TV show with that theme, just lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. That's literally the show. Um, <laughs> so I, I think it's interesting that, that these sorts of, uh, uh, and being enslaved to a certain pattern of life is definitely, uh, an idea that, that is universally human. 
<laughs> yeah, certainly. And but you know, and then there's the hopeful contrast of that though, of by serving righteousness you grow in righteousness. Absolutely. There's another way. <laughs> it's also a you know, it's it's a better one. <laughs> you know, if you have the choice, right? Slaves, you might not have a choice whether or not, you know, you can be a slave. But if this guy named Sin is trying to get you and then there's a guy named Righteousness, I mean, which would you pick? It's kind of it says a lot about us that we pick the guy named Sin. Like, we'll take that guy. Yeah, we'll take the lawlessness leading to more lawlessness one. Thank you. (laughs) It's like the other guy is like, it's Lane. You know, he's going to be he's going to make me work hard or whatever it is, you know. But yeah, but he's going to, you know, like provide much better for you. (laughs) So if if you have to pick. <laughs> well, Jeremy, it's interesting that you bring up the idea of the like the results or the payout or, you know, like what we expect to get from being lawless or, you know, being righteous, uh, because that that pivots really nicely into the, the direction that Paul goes with his argument. When I was reading in Romans six before I stopped in verse 19 uh, but let's pick up here in verse 20 and continue to our actual verse that we're referencing, 623 here. So starting in verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we get there exactly the thing that you were talking about, Jeremy. Kind of the punchline of this parallelism that Paul is using is the end of lawlessness is death, but the end of sanctification is eternal life. And so, you know, he's kind of Paul is presenting this argument of like, what, why, why in the world would you want to do the lawlessness and walk along the lawlessness path? Because like, you know, death be that way, where instead you could be on the path of sanctification, this like growing in righteousness, because, you know, there be eternal life. Yeah, no, that's true. The, the, these, uh, oh man, I, the word but <laughs> in Romans it's probably the most important word in the whole Bible, right? You, you'd think it would be salvation or something like that, or... Like, but the word, but (laughs) if if we didn't have that word, Romans would be a different book, man. But yeah, no. Yeah. So there's the end of of the the sin path is death. The end of the righteousness path is eternal life. I find it interesting that Paul says here, he rephrases it as being slaves of God. He's just talked about being slaves of righteousness and now it's slaves of God. Which that that's even even more like that kind of arrests my attention and, and sort of I don't know, triggers an, an offense in me, you know, like the idea of being slaves of God. Yeah, because I, I totally hear that because I'm, I think it's one thing to anthropomorphize this idea of sin and righteousness and, you know, imagine ourselves of slaves of these two people. But even that is like almost kind of a little okay in my head because it's like, oh, you know, righteousness isn't actually a person. It's not like really, you know, a, a being that is telling me what I must do and what I must not do. You know, it's more this, like, idea and life that I'm inhabiting. But when you say, like, slaves of God, I mean, God's a being. There's no getting around the fact that, 
like Paul is very clearly making this argument that God gets to tell you what you can and can't do. And it's not your choice. Like, (laughs) you know, you can be an obedient or a disobedient servant, you know, and slave of God. But you you, you don't have any recourse. God just gets to tell you what's what. Yeah, it does kind of hit at the root of our pride. And I mean, Paul himself, you know, starts most of his letters by identifying himself as a a slave of God. And, and sadly, it doesn't always come forward in our translations. Uh, and, and I think correctly so. Our translations will often say like a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And honestly, I think that's a fine translation because uh, the history of America has created different associations with the word slave than would have been understood by someone in the first century. Um, yeah, certainly. So bondservant in some ways is a, is a more fitting term, but there's something to be said for just the strict literal, just rendering it as slave. Paul saying, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ, um, because it, it does sort of arrest our attention with the radical nature of what's being said. That like, oh, Jesus gets to demand what I do. He gets to command how I live the rest of my life. Right. Which, yeah, again, it just hits at the root of our our self-sufficiency and our pride. Yeah, yeah. It's like Paul calling himself uh, like a slave of Jesus Christ would have been shocking, you know, then. Yes. And (laughs) it's like it's more shocking now because of our history with slavery over against the like Roman history with slavery. But it doesn't stop the fact that like it still is a shocking statement, just maybe not quite as shocking as we would imagine it to be. Right. Yeah. And I think a full discussion of slavery would probably be best for another episode. But, you know, there's the whole like racial component of it that's just not a part of first century um, Greco-Roman slavery. Um, and also there's the whole element of like man stealing where, you know, you know, in, in the history of American slavery, you know, we would actually kidnap people <laughs> and force them into slavery. And that, that there is some of that in the first century as well. But a lot of slaves were actually voluntarily um, in that position. Uh, it could be better to be a slave than to starve to death. So people would voluntarily put themselves into slavery. Um, which is not to say that it was a fun time. It's just like, like you had to give up your freedom to, to do it. So, it, it, you know, it's not like it, it was a great position to be in. But uh, but I don't know. There's there's a lot of differences in the culture there, which, again, we I, we should probably do a whole episode on it because it's a good topic. Um, yeah, totally, uh, totally. There's like that good section in First Peter 2 about obe- obedience to, to masters. And, of course, the book of Philemon as well. There's been some misinterpretation particularly in, uh, you know, American history of those verses uh, because of our, you know, unique uh, history. But anyways, all that aside, (laughs) that's a little bit of an excursus. Um, But I think it's important to understand that for this, you know, to understand that this would have been shocking in in some senses because the Jewish people would have not considered themselves slaves of sin. Uh, Jesus, you know, has already called them out on that. Uh, so certainly it's a shocking metaphor, but but perhaps a little bit less shocking to them than it would be to us. Right. So we've spent a long time talking about Paul's um, use of parallelism to kind of compare righteousness and sin uh, and kind of their ends. And, and he uses like a pretty strict like parallelism between these two things of, you know, even going so far as to say like slaves of sin and slaves of righteousness. But what's really fascinating is when we finally come to Romans 6.23, Paul actually breaks that parallelism. He says, for the wages of sin is death, 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so up to this point, it's been the very similar language and construction, but now we get wages being contrasted with the free gift of God. And I mean, the emphasis here, I, I think is pretty straightforward that like, w whereas death is the wage that you get from sin, like it's, it's the thing that you earn, like you put in your hard work and at the end of the day, what is paid out to you is death and, you know, justly so. Whereas the eternal life that comes from being the slave of righteousness, there is no wage paid to the slave of righteousness. There is only the free gift of God, which is eternal life. Well, I think we're hitting at the core of <laughs> what 623 is all about. It's not just that the way of righteousness has a different end, which we just talked about, the end of death versus the end of eternal life. The way of righteousness, it has an entire different payment mechanism <laughs> than the way of sin. Like, it, it, it's an entirely different mode of uh, you know like i don't know i guess if you're if you're following sin you know you're like basic cable right but, <laughs> but if, you're, if you're following righteousness this metaphor doesn't work at all i don't know why i'm using it uh, but if you're following righteousness that's like the awesome like oh you got every channel and you got the disney plus subscription and baby yoda's really cute <laughs> yeah, it's like you can either pay for basic cable or you can receive the gift of your parents' Disney Plus subscription. <laughs> yeah, but it really is this evocative phrase, this idea of wages of sin. And I, and I think this really is why Romans 6.23 is the verse that gets used in the Romans Road. Because this is, like, the phrase is super evocative. Like, the wages of sin is death! You know, it, it brings all these ideas of like, you know, death is what you earn, that you are entitled to it, which is, you know, you know really interesting. Like the worker is, is entitled to their wage. It's, you know, if, if you work and then the person you're working for doesn't pay you your wage, like there, there are repercussions for that. Like, you know, you can take them to court, uh, you know, to get what is rightfully yours. And, you know, that, that it, there's the sense that it's what you're being compensated with. And... What strikes me as really interesting here is that, you know, ostensibly wages are something that is desirable. Like, you know, n nobody works for things for compensation that they don't want. Like, you know, if, you know, if an employer is like, ah, I will pay you in, you know, 50 oranges. And you're like, well, I'm allergic to oranges. So, you know, I don't want them. Like, I'm not going to work for that person because I don't want the wage that they're offering me for the work that I'm providing. And so, it, you know, in that sense, like wages are, are compensation that ostensibly somebody wants. So like, what's the deal here that if the wages of sin is death, it, you know, it's almost this idea that the people who are slaves of sin, they want the death that is the compensation for the things that they do. I think, yeah, I, you're on the right track for sure. I think it's that they want, I don't know, because we sin, it's indicative that, that we, we, on some level want death, but I think we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect our brains from having to handle that. And so I think that's why you get like in the garden of Eden, God's very clear. He's like, by the way, you take the fruit. I mean, you're going to die. Like surely you will die. And okay. Pretty clear. God, thanks. Um, Adam, Adam and Eve go away on their jolly little way. And, uh, and then what's the serpent's argument? He's like, you won't die. 
<laughs> it's kind of like Paul's uh, Paul's debate partner here. It's like a terrible argument. It's just, it's not even an argument. It's just a contradiction, you know. Um, <laughs> it's like, did God really say? Like, yes, yes, he did. He did actually really say. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's like, oh, you're not going to die. He's like, well, God said it, we would. I mean, <laughs> but so, but I think Adam and Eve deceived themselves into thinking that, that like, you know, that God is not correct about this, that, oh, maybe we won't die. Um, it, it's sort of this interesting, because death is obviously unpleasant. It's not something people really want to have happen to them. But sin is what, you know, sin tends toward it, uh, inevitably, by God's own commands and, and the way that God created the universe. So something about us must desire it if we go after it so strongly. But it, but I think it's hard to admit that to ourselves. So that's where we come up with, you know, did, did God really say, right? <laughs> I will surely not die. Yeah. And that, you know, yeah, like you say, death isn't pleasant. But I think in, you know, in people's mental calculus, it is more preferable than being the slave of God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So that's the whole deal with, like, you know, the wage of sin. But then we get, like we said before, this contrast. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And so, you know, like like I said before, eternal life, it is not a wage. It's a gift. So whereas, you know, death is the thing that you are entitled to and that you merit by sin, eternal life is not something that you merit or are entitled to when you serve God as his slave, when you serve righteousness, when you are led in sanctification, that doesn't entitle you to this eternal life. Even in the end, it is still the free gift of God. It is something that in his mercy, he gives to you. So basically, it, the free gift of God sounds like the sweetest sign-on bonus in human history. <laughs> Right. So you you haven't even done the work yet, but, you know, but this other slave master, God slash righteousness is like, hey, you know, uh, so here's this. Here's the thing. Like, if you come over and serve me instead of sin, uh, you get eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Like, you know, and, and you don't even have to do any work. You just get that for signing on. <laughs> What, like we're fools to not take this offer <laughs> again again like the the slave master who holds reign over our hearts of sin he's a terrible one yeah yeah well and i mean but that that's like basically the whole book of proverbs is <laughs> we're foolish not to take god upon its offer <laughs> so nobody earns nobody earns this eternal life and i think that's interesting we still do become slaves of righteousness and of god and I think Paul's point here is is that, yeah, okay, maybe we don't earn this eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord as wages when we become slaves of God. But if we have truly become slaves of this new master, then our actions ought to reflect that. Um, like, if, if it still looks like we're serving the slave master of sin, then that's when, you know, Paul would, would ask the question, well, I thought we died to sin. I thought that master was gone. If that master was truly gone, then we wouldn't be living that way anymore. Even though we don't need to obey this new master for the purpose of of uh, of getting any wages, it nevertheless is the case that we, we do need to serve this new master. Right. And so in this standpoint, Paul seems to be agreeing an awful lot with like what James says in James chapter two. It's almost like Paul and James are actually in agreement. You should listen to our podcast on James chapter two. <laughs> 
It's very true. Well, and it goes exactly with the themes we touched on in that episode of like, uh, Abraham was counted righteous before God on the basis of his belief in God's promise before he had done anything in obedience to God. But his he was vindicated when he was willing to offer Isaac up on the altar for God. And uh, so I think that's the that's the distinction we made in that episode. And I think that's also the distinction we're seeing here is that, you know, you, maybe we're slaves of God and righteousness, which sounds like it's pretty hardcore, but um, actually <laughs> eternal life is a free gift that comes along with that. I, I'm liking my sign-on bonus metaphor more as we're going on here. <laughs> I came up with that off the top of my head, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, I think you're right on because the other, the other idea is the, the idea of the wage is it's like it's paid to you afterward. So, you know, the end of these things is death. But, you know, the idea of the sign-on bonus is that, like, it's rendered to you from the beginning. And that, and, and here I think we need to be a little bit careful because there's this sense in which, like, eternal life is, you know, the, the, the end. It's like we will end in eternal life. But I think there's also a reality that we begin to experience the eternal life even now. And this is getting into a little bit of the idea of like eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord, or in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we are going to talk way more about this when we get to the last stop in the Romans road of, uh, you know, what, what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? But, you know, maybe just to tease it a little bit here is like, I, I, I think there is the sense in which, you know, with the, the, the signing bonus analogy, that there is reality to the eternal life that we get now. And that there is the benefit in this gift that we get even now as we are serving God. And like, Jeremy, I think, I think your, your analogies have just been on point this episode, <laughs> if I can say so. Of, it is like it's a, different, it's a different payment structure in these, you know, serving these two masters. One master, you, you know, you get the death meted to you at the end. And with the other master, you are, you know, and you're entitled to it. And with, you know, the master of God, it is like, it's just given to you as a gift, but you're still obligated to do the work. It's time for the other meat. Well, I think uh, the first application point would just be the obvious one Paul wants us to understand, which would be to stop serving our old master of sin. You know, it's uh, again, like, I feel like our application points are like, sometimes <laughs> don't sin. <laughs> um, like you can figure this out without us us guiding you along, but it, it does serve to, to, I don't know. I think it's helpful to underline it, uh, how foolish it is for Christians to sin, how purposeless and meaningless like that, that choice is. And so I think lots of us are holding on to some sort of sin that we know we need to cut it out and and we just you know we keep returning to it and we're treating it like it's a slave master over us but it's actually not like if you know we've been set free from that slave master and we're slaves of god and so rather than following the path of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness um, we want to follow that path leading to sanctification and its end of eternal life not from the perspective of getting wages but from the perspective of let's joyfully follow our new master, let's stop sinning. You know, let's let's t it's time to cut it out. Um, we're not going to perfectly obey God in this life, but if we're doing something that we know we shouldn't be doing, you know, that, then let's find a way to cut it out. <laughs> and that that 
also goes for if there's something we know we ought to be doing, but we're not doing it. Something we're not to, we're not we we know that we're not really doing anything to love our neighbor. Well, well, let's do something. Let's change that today. Let's not delay. Indeed, and I'm going to just underline that uh, that last point that you said is a whole extra application point. Serving righteousness is it's something that takes work. I mean, you know, there's no way around it. But you know, slaves of righteousness, slaves of God. There is work that comes along with this that we are obligated to do. But the promise is that the end of this sanctification is eternal life. And so it's like, it's hard work, you know, serving righteousness, but the end is something that's good. Not an end in that we earn it, you know, it's, it's still it's something that's a gift. But, you know, the idea is that, like, walking down this path is something that is good, and it leads to good ends. And so, you know, if there is something that righteousness demands, like loving your neighbor, we should be falling over ourselves to be doing these good things. We should be obedient, willing servants of God. So with that, you should, we should be listening to our consciences. And when our consciences tell us this is what righteousness demands, we should be, like, seeking to do it. And uh, having a conscience that is shaped by the word of God on top of that, you know, part of being an obedient servant of God is, is going to be found in listening to his commands. And that takes a lot of work, too. That takes a lifetime of paying attention and, you know, reading his word and studying it with other servants of God. That's what we're doing here today. It's, it's part of the building blocks of, of uh, sanctification is just spending some time in the word, thinking about what's being said. I think a third application point that that jumps out to me is is that uh, this pursuit ought to be done with humility, and if it's not done with humility, then there's no purpose in it at all. I mean, again, it kind of harkens back to our first episode on Matthew seven one, right? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Um, this is a free gift; it's not wages, right? So, like those of us who work especially hard in righteousness. I mean, there are passages in the Bible that talk about rewards in heaven for different levels of obedience. But at this, at the same time, everybody who's in Christ is going to inherit the same kingdom, you know. So while it is good to endeavor to really to, to be righteous, um, it's also important to do that from a perspective of wanting to please God, not from a perspective of just wanting to one-up your neighbor, which... You know, that's that's definitely the error that the Pharisees fell into the trap of. and They weren't doing it for God. They were doing it for, you know, to be seen by others. Yeah, certainly that just remembering that when we serve righteousness, we aren't like earning anything. We are just doing what we are obligated to do. We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And uh, with that, we, uh, you know, maybe a final uh, application point here is that, you know, acknowledging that, you know, it's not something that we earn, that the eternal life that is the end of our obedience is still a gift from God. And so let's be thankful to God that he has been merciful to us, that he has set us free from sin and made us a slave of righteousness. It's time for milk, not solid food. Well, Paul sure says some things that are hard to understand, but this Jesus guy is a lot more clear sometimes. And so I think I think we're going to we're going <laughs> to close our episode out by exploring this theme uh, from a famous passage of Jesus's and, and just sit in this kind of simple 
um, encouragement that he gives us from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And we could also add here from Paul, um, and I don't give you what you deserve. I give a free gift of eternal life. That's a good yoke to take. It's a good burden. Well, in the immortal words of the philosopher Porky Pig, that's all, folks. We thank you for joining us. If anything you heard today has sent you into a blind theological rage, feel free to lambast us on social media. Alternatively, if you liked what you heard, have Bible verses you want us to break down or questions you think we can answer, you can send them to thejohn315podcast at gmail.com. That's thejohn315podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.